0: A listener Production During my recent long lazy summer holidays, I had time to have a deep think about the future of this series and really more broadly about the future itself. I found myself getting stuck because I kept spinning my wheels around my hopes for the future and the reality of the future. An interim report from the Bushfire Royal Commission has found a national cabinet should be set up to respond to future disasters. Federal Minister for Emergency. Now, I have always wanted to paint the brightest possible picture of the future before us. Because, let's face it, darkness, it's demotivating. If we don't believe the future will be better, why would we work toward it? And I've learned in my years as a futurist that it is way too easy to scare people about the future. It is much harder to leave them hopeful, but realistic. And this is where I got stuck. Because you see, the whole point of this show and the ethic that motivates everything connected to The Next Billion Seconds, it's really quite simple. We tell you what you need to know so that you can make the best decisions in the weeks and months and years ahead. So we're opening Series 5 with something a little bit different. We're at the start of a new decade. It will be governed by four big trends. And in our first four episodes, we're exploring each of these trends. We're setting the stage for the rest of Series 5. And we're doing that by introducing the main themes, the main players, and the main predictions. Now that's a new thing too. I'm a futurist. I make predictions. Predictions are my stock in trade. But you haven't really ever heard me doing that on this show. I I invite guests on and let them tell their stories. I let those stories set the scene. I let you draw your own conclusions. This time, this series, this is series five, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to take some risks and make some calls, predictions about the future over the next decade. And once those predictions are out there, we will be able to revisit them at the end of this series and the next and the one after that and so on, all the way to the end of the decade. We'll see how much of the future I got right, where I got it wrong, and how and why. I will be laying out these predictions clearly. I'll explain my reasoning. We can look at the forces in play, and that's where it will get a little uncomfortable because each of these predictions points to things in our future that are actually well beyond our control. Now, we can watch the future unfold, and where it suits us, we can make the decision to lean in or where it's safer, we can get out of the way. Where it's possible to get out of the way. But what's happening over this decade, it is so much bigger than us. And so it's just as important that we know our limits. We know where our ability to change the world trails off. And that's where the world has to pick things up. In this second episode of series five, we take a look at the changing climate and let's start off by calling it exactly what it is, a rapidly warming climate. So follow along as we make some hot predictions on this episode of The Next Billion Seconds. Here's the raw, unvarnished and ugly truth. 2020 was the equal warmest year since we began keeping records. Even though the pandemic shut the world down for months, even though we generated significantly less carbon dioxide in 2020 than in previous years. Here's a prediction the climate will warm more in this decade than in any decade since records began. Now, I didn't make that prediction, the UN did. Some people will argue against that prediction, look for flaws in the data, searching for a reason that this won't happen. But we need to be honest about what's happening and where we are. Because once we do, enormous possibilities for change open up, transitions and remediations. Here's just a small taste of what I mean. In the last 10 days of January 2021, The U.S. rejoined the Paris Climate Accords. The U.S. made the decision to migrate its entire vehicle fleet. That's nearly 700,000 vehicles. I think that's all civilian vehicles and probably a lot of military vehicles as well. They'll all be fully electric by the end of the decade. And, oh, yeah, General Motors, that second largest automaker in the world, General Motors announced that they would only be making electric vehicles by 2035. And all of that follows a decision by the Japanese government over really angry objections at Toyota to completely phase out combustion engine vehicle sales in Japan by 2035. These are all moments of transition. And in retrospect, they'll look completely reasonable. People will wonder why they didn't happen years or even decades earlier. Today, well, they look nothing less than world changing because, as we've learned in the Next Billion Cars episodes, the supply chains for automobiles, well, they span nearly every sector of manufacturing almost everywhere in the world. Which means that this transition to electric vehicles will have profound implications for the way things are made and for the way we power those things. But the switch is on. The transition is now well begun. In 2020, Statista reports that 2.3 million electrical vehicles were sold. That's out of around 60 million total, which is down a bit because of the pandemic. But that's getting close to 4% of all passenger vehicles. Now, there's a process here. It's called the S-curve of adoption. It's something that's well understood by folks who are doing forecasts and predictions. Basically says that it takes the same amount of time to grow from zero to one-tenth of 1% in the market, as it does to grow from 1/10th of a percent to 1%. And then the same time again to go from 1% to 10%. And then the same time again to go from 10% to 90%. Now, if you plot all of that out on a graph, it looks like an elongated S. And where we are right now is in that span between 1% and 10%, probably more than halfway through it. And that makes it really easy for me to make a prediction. By the end of the decade, by December 2030, around half of all vehicle sales will be for electric vehicles. That's where this is going. And that place in 2030 has some different dynamics. The enormous supply chains and infrastructure that are employed globally to provide petrochemical fuels for vehicles will become increasingly obsolete. And as that happens, they will lose investment. And that's already happening. In January 2021, oh, again. So this month might be seen in the future as the point of transition globally in all of this. In January of 2021, BP, one of the largest petrochemical companies in the world, announced that it had dramatically scaled back its oil exploration staff because, well, They're basically not looking for oil anymore. It's not the kind of energy they're interested in. They don't see the future in it. Instead, BP says they're focusing on renewables now. Whether that's just greenwashing to prop up their share price or whether it marks a real change in the firm's direction, that remains to be seen. Transitions this big are rarely easy. And often a firm decides too late to make the transition. They end up getting lapped by newer and more agile competitors. I mean, look at what's happened to Tesla versus everyone else in the automobile field. But the transition is underway and it's not being led by rising fuel costs or even because of carbon taxes. It looks as though what we're seeing is something called a consilience, a happy marriage between economic rationale and climate sustainability. It's a beautiful thing. Not long ago, it was widely believed that the world needed to be dragged into a transition to electric vehicles with taxes and regulations. Those do play a part, but they're not the story here. The transition is happening because it makes sense now. That's the story. In a moment, we'll take a look at how we may try to claw back the worst of our behavior in order to keep behaving badly. Now here's another raw, unvarnished, and ugly truth. It is always going to be cheaper and easier to prevent carbon from going into the atmosphere and the oceans than it is to remove it once it's gotten there. That's a physical fact. It's the second law of thermodynamics, which states mathematically that you can't unscramble an egg. Of course, people rarely like to take no for an answer, even when it comes from physics. So This decade, and here's my next prediction, this decade is going to see all sorts of wild and crazy schemes being floated to help unscramble that egg. We've already seen a whole bunch of money put into something called carbon capture and storage, which takes carbon out of the air, turns it into something that can be stored and then stores it away. When this works best, Carbon is converted into plants, which can then be used for food or for structural materials or simply just allowed to grow. Plants capture carbon. Well-maintained soils capture carbon. Nature captures carbon. We humans are not nearly so good at it, but that doesn't mean we're not trying. At the end of 2020, researchers at Cambridge and Oxford announced they'd found a way to capture the carbon from air and turn it into jet fuel. And that's a neat feat because before we all stopped flying around due to the pandemic, air travel accounted for at least 3% of global carbon emissions. So if you could take that back out of the air and turn it into fuel for jet aircraft, that would almost overnight make a very dirty industry look positively sustainable. But, and you knew there was going to be a but, yeah? Researchers have only converted a tiny amount of atmospheric carbon into jet fuel. They've proven it's possible. They haven't proven that they can scale it to the billions of liters needed every year. And once a process scales up like that, it can have its own sustainability issues. So it's a neat idea. It's a worthy idea. But it's not much more than that. And this decade this decade is going to be chockers with these sorts of ideas, All of them are looking to remediate something we're doing badly, which allows us to continue doing it badly indefinitely because we're remediating the damage. The world has a lot of inertia behind it, and it is hard to change direction. Transitions are difficult. For most people in businesses, most of the time, they just want to keep on doing what they've been doing. And if they have to deal with the consequences, sure, they will. That's why remediation is so alluring. It seems easier than a transition because you keep doing the same thing as before. But of course, you have to put in a lot more effort because you're doing the same thing and you're cleaning up your mess. You're doing your best to unscramble the egg. And it will feel easier until a business comes along that made the transition or started on the other side of the transition and really does do things better. And then then remediation looks more like a stopgap than a solution. It's a dangerous trap for a business or a country to fall into. And in this decade we will see plenty of businesses including aviation go down the route toward remediation. We will see some of those businesses fail because the cost on scramble the egg they just got too big. And as these plans fail, the plans will get bigger and bigger and more and more expensive just so we can keep doing things the same way. Which brings me to a final prediction for this decade. We'll see two economies, one built around transition and one built around remediation, one on the way up and the other being dragged further and further down. Will all this transition and remediation be enough? Maybe, if we're all in this together. In our next episode, we'll take a look out across a world where we are all going to have to work out how to work together to manage our role in the climate. And as we look out from Australia, we can see one thing very clearly. There's a new power on the rise and we'll need to work with them. Even if neither of us is particularly inclined. That's on the next episode of The Next Billion Seconds. The Next Billion Seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production Darcy Thompson. If you like this show, hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who might like it too, please share it with them. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening.